The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. To Genesis in your scriptures, we're going to pick up the reading uh, in chapter number two. So if you'll get in your scriptures to Genesis chapter number two, you know, I also want to just uh, acknowledge, uh, I know Jerry prayed for shut-ins and I really appreciated that, but uh, there are still a number of folks that are watching on our Facebook live feed and uh, we want to just say thank you for being with us wherever you are uh, and may uh, the service be a blessing and may the word of God uh, be a blessing to you as well. The sermon's going to be a little... um, different today that, um, hang on just a second, that maybe I normally preach. This sermon really is uh, serve as an introduction to a larger thing that I hope to do uh, over the next weeks as we shift away from that uh, epiphany idea of looking at the light to now longing for the light, longing for the light. And um, after the story of creation, Moses then accounts in a different way for creation, including uh, the relationship of man uh, in the garden, um, and then also the fall uh, in chapter number three. We're going to highlight just a few things. Uh, The verses I'm going to read are in your bulletin. If you want to uh, follow along, I hope you do have your Bibles open. You know, about a year ago or so, I think we started to encourage people, hey, remember, you know, bring your Bible to church. That's a really important thing. And then have it open. That's even important also. And follow along. That's good too. Uh, Because the Spirit of God speaks through uh, the Word of God. Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made had made and god blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which god created and made these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the lord god made the earth and uh, the heavens and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now verse number 15 uh, there, a garden has been created. We'll pick up the reading. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest uh, of it thou shalt surely die and the lord god said it is not good that man should be alone i will 
uh, make uh, him and help me for him. Which uh, then in verse 21, that the Lord causes a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and took out one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man cleave, uh, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent uh, said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they had sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Verse number 20 to the end of the chapter and Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also, and to the wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims 
and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. The word of the Lord. And now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would indeed be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. In a world of instant everything, we are in desperate need of reclaiming a biblical view of time. A biblical view of time. And the uh, big idea for this sermon and the sermons that will follow is uh, one of recovery. A recovery of time as a gift from God so that we can have joy regardless of the circumstances that we may face. Perhaps you yourself uh, or someone you know has been in a recovery program and you know how hard it is to move forward uh, through brokenness and into full healing. So I would say for you and I to recover a biblical view of time, it will take hard work because everything around us is fighting against understanding time as a gift from God. But I would uh, remind you that the battle is well worth it because as uh, you heard read for you the creation story, what you also heard in that story is an invitation. An invitation into God's time. And even though, as we read from Genesis chapter number 3, we have ruined so much of what God called good, we are promised that in his time a full restoration will come and that full restoration is currently unfolding for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That prophetic vision that I just quoted shows up twice in the Old Testament. First in Isaiah 11 where the promise is set in a messianic vision of universal blessing universal blessing uh, we'll put the the passage up on the screen for you it is where the poor will be judged with righteousness it will be where the meek will be given equity that the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them and the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones shall lie down Together and the lion shall eat straw like ox, and the suckling child shall play in the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the cockatrice den. And here it is they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a picture! It sounds a lot like a return to Genesis chapter number one. Universal 
blessing, a unity unlike we have ever known when God brings all of creation together. But the second time that promise shows up is in Habakkuk. The prophet sets it in a time of woe or a time of judgment. The men who attended uh, the retreat up at Camp of the Woods this past November may remember some of the exposition we heard from Habakkuk and that the beginning of the book uh, has this question. Habakkuk asks, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? I wonder if we took a show of hands in the room today, how many people have cried out to the Lord and it seems like the Lord isn't listening. And like Habakkuk, you cry out and you say, how long, O Lord, shall I cry for help and you will not hear? And then the second chapter of Habakkuk begins with him waiting up in a watchtower, looking out and hoping for God to respond to his prayers. And when God does respond, he reminds Habakkuk of a foundational truth that the just shall live by faith. And the rest of chapter 2 then are pronouncements of judgments against the ungodly. But as we often say, and we see even in a prophecy like Habakkuk, judgment is never without the hope of mercy. And in a rather surprising way in that chapter of woe, mercy rises up and it comes in the form of the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. It just grasps this for a moment. My, my oldest son uh, is on a work trip with the Air Force. He's in Estonia and he's about six hours ahead and he sent me pictures this morning standing on the edge of the Baltic Sea looking out across the winter of uh, northern Europe and it was a glorious gloomy beauty that he showed me in his pictures and you look out in the expanse and we're called then into this great vision to think about how expansive the seas are and the glory of the Lord spreading across the seas and as you close out the book of Habakkuk in that third chapter we are compelled to pray with the prophet during the years, revive your work. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. It's been a practice of mine for some time now to read and continue to read large portions of Isaiah. And maybe, maybe someday I'll, I'll get enough courage to preach through Isaiah. It's a massive book. And so when chapter 11 comes up, and it does so regularly in my reading, I'm connected to this promise that's in the midst of a vision of universal blessing. But since November, I've also been reading Habakkuk each week 
because the exposition at the men's retreat just had such an impact on me. And I began then to put those two promises together. One set in universal blessing and one set in pronouncements of woe and judgment. And how do they coexist? And you know, it, it wasn't all that hard to work out. Because when we read in Genesis that the world which God made was not only made by God, but fully inhabited by God, called good by God, blessed by God, it isn't really a leap of faith to say that God then is and will continue to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. That's Isaiah. Isaiah sees this even though Israel is far away from God. You know, in harsh weeks like we experienced this past week of winter and bleakness and coldness and hardness, yes, it's, it's difficult to see the blessing of God universally spreading throughout all the earth. You know, I read, uh, it was either yesterday or this morning, that um, right now, investigations in Turkey, some 600 contractors are under investigation for ignoring laws in place to build structures that would meet certain standards in case of earthquake. 600 contractors under investigation. Over 50,000 people have died. Apparently, in part at least, because people ignored the rules. And when you read that, and then you, and then you think about the devastation as that spreads out, and then you think about the devastation that we see in our own nation, in small communities as the opioid crisis continues to ravage impoverished communities, as you read about homelessness, and you read about violence, and you read about government taking advantage of and overburdening people and you say isn't it rather hard to believe in a messianic vision and a universal blessing and yet isaiah says hey believe in it the earth is being filled because quite honestly we find ourselves very much in habakkuk don't we we find ourselves in a place where we don't find much universal blessing. Because when we get to Genesis 3, and we read about the man Adam, the one made in God's image, breaking faith with God, we are then introduced to the woe or the judgment of God. And as Paul would later write in Romans 5, uh, therefore, as by the offense of one judgment, came upon all men to condemnation. And, and what we understand and what we see is that sitting in this room and sitting in this world today, this world outside of Jesus Christ is under just condemnation. Having sinned, born, uh, you know, the weight and burden of Adam's sin. And so how is it that universal blessing and the woe of judgment can 
coexist? Where is the hope of Isaiah and where is the hope of Habakkuk? Well, it is found in the larger teaching that Paul has given to us. And I don't remember, hopefully I gave this slide to Sarah and we can get it up on the screen from Romans chapter number 5. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now think about this for just a moment. In the times in which we live, when we have, most of us in our lifetime have seen this nation drift from a place where if somebody saying, God bless America, you really felt like you could join them when they're singing it. But now in a nation that has pretty much thumbed its nose at God, and we say to ourselves, where, where is the blessing going to come? Aren't we just living in the woe of God's judgment? And we say no, because Christ came into the mess of this world and bore the offense of Adam in such a way that we might be delivered from that condemnation. You see, that's the connecting point between Genesis and Isaiah and Habakkuk in Romans, it's found in that little word, faith, faith in Jesus who comes and presents himself not only as Israel's Messiah, but as the new Adam. For as Paul then would write, to him that worketh not, but believeth in him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This good news that God is fulfilling his promise to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. It does look absurd at present. I mean, it just looks ridiculous. For us to gather in this room and think that we can find any hope at all in the gospel. But this is where time and a better understanding of time actually comes into view you see if isaiah and habakkuk are saying the same thing but putting the promise under entirely different circumstances we can take hope that the circumstances then are not the determining factor in the promise being fulfilled our hope does not rest in circumstances positive or negative our hope rests in the one who made the promise to us and that is why we need to recover time as a gift from god time to be used and enjoyed in service to his work as we join with god invited by god into the glory of this creation then to um you know work in bringing about the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the whole of creation. This, this means that the faith 
by which you are saved is the faith by which you are sanctified, set apart then, joining with Jesus, who is our rightful head, the second Adam, as we then bring into submission and subdue the world around us through the proclamation of the gospel. Let us not give up on that just because the circumstances look bleak. Because it sounds absurd to say it. Conservative theologians, and I tend to agree with conservative theologians most of the time, and especially this time, they set, they set as, as a time period roughly 4,000 years from the creation of the world to the coming of Jesus Christ into the world that he created. So 4,000 years, I mean, that's, that's a pretty long time, right? That's a pretty long time. But don't forget that once Jesus comes into this world, there's another 30 years before it appears he's doing anything, right? And then don't forget that once he starts doing something, there's another three years at least, maybe a little bit more, before we get to the most important week of all in human history, when Jesus is going to then do the one thing that is going to give an answer to Genesis 3. But even then, as he hangs on the cross, time has to unfold until he says, it is finished, and he bows his head and he gives up the ghost. And then you have to wait another three days, which is a really long time if you're with the depressed and discouraged disciples, disillusioned. Three days is an eternity. And then you get what? Resurrection. Time is a gift. When we put God's time into play and Understand what God is doing. 4,000 years. 30 years. 3 years. 6 hours. 3 days. The head of the serpent finally crushed. And we step back at that and we look out at that and we begin to see how God has worked over a long period of time to bring his redemption into the world, and as we are willing to look at God's time in all of this, we can begin to see time as an ally and not as an enemy. I don't know if you've been following the story of revivals down in colleges like Asbury. I've been kind of watching that, and I immediately think, you know, like a lot of stuff takes really long to get to the North Country, spring bringing one of those things, right? I think, will, would revival ever ever get here do it again lord will it ever actually happen but you know time is not our enemy time is an ally when we understand time in god's economy and the work that god is doing we can use time and if we will recover time as a gift from god and employ it as an instrument of reconciliation it gives us an answer to how we counter this mad world rushing about and they are 
rushing about, lost. And the church has to step away from the mad rush of this world. And we do that by taking longer looks at songs like the first two chapters of Genesis. I mean, it was a long reading, right? And some of you are probably sitting there and you go, why are we reading all of this? It's like some, some like really resist the idea of singing a hymn with, you know, six or seven stanzas. Well, can't we just sing like one in five? Okay, read the first sentence of a book and read the last sentence of a book. Go ahead, figure out what the book's about. Oh, can't we have to take all the way to rush? No, take time to read it. Take time to think about the beauty of it. You want to really counter the mad rush of the world? Step back and just read what unfolded over six days as God brings the wonder of creation into being. Drink in the beauty of it. The beauty of the God who speaks and out of his voice comes beauty and at the end of each day he looks out at it and he says it is good. And that word good shows up five times in the first chapter. It's an interesting Hebrew word according to the commentators because it has like a far-reaching meaning and it's hard to find its root, but at its root, it means excellence. Excellence. And I was thinking, well, how do I get excellence across? And one of the things that came to mind was how Paul describes the multifaceted fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit isn't just one thing, love or joy or peace. It is multifaceted. It is a beauty that encompasses so many things, but when you put it together, you know it is excellent, it is beautiful. And so when God says about his creation, it is good, it is excellent, it carries with it more than just one meaning. Like, oh, I'm glad he created tulips, because I like tulips, that's a good thing. No, tulips are just an indication of the multitude of myriad of things that God made for our good and for his glory that we enjoy. Why? Because God himself is excellent. God himself is good. You want to battle the mad rush of the world, reflect on the deep beauty of God, feast on the great hope of God, get your longings in the right place so that you long for the light of God's beauty and goodness to come. Maybe, maybe not, but maybe you've noticed there's been a reduction of light around the church. The lights and the trees are gone. The children's tree, gone. The tree that we've put up in the chapel for the nations and have lit uh, since Christmas Eve, no longer there. Jack's tree, unplugged, darkness. Why? Because we want to set in your mind an understanding that, yes, we live in a dark world, but we are moving with this natural world in which we live towards light, which will be at Easter and the great celebration of resurrection. And we want your longings to be stirred for that. We see the change taking place in the natural world. Daylight coming just a bit sooner. Sunset lasting just a bit longer. 
Yes, there's still winter around us, but soon the spring bulbs will push out of the ground and the birds will begin to nest and the trees will begin to bud. And all of this in the natural world is a reminder that Jesus is the one who will indeed renew all things. He is making all things new. And with Paul, we rejoice that we know that even though the whole of creation groans and travails in pain together until now, and not only they, but we ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Brothers and sisters, the decisive event of the cosmos has taken place. Jesus stands as the new head of a redeemed humanity, and we as the redeemed humanity will for all eternity experience the promise and the hope of the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, just as Isaiah envisioned it. We will live that for all eternity. But even in seasons like Habakkuk experienced, when he wrote, though the fig tree did not blossom and there is no fruit on the vines and the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no uh, food and the flocks are cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls. You see, even in times like that, we join with Habakkuk who says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So well, how do we do that? We remember that in wrath, God will remember mercy. In wrath, God will remember mercy. And I pray that he will help us in the weeks ahead to reclaim time as we wait for him to once again fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Father, I thank you uh, for your word to us. And as we take some time now to reflect on it and preparing ourselves for your table, I ask, oh God, I, I pray and I plead, oh God, that your spirit would be at work making clear what right now maybe isn't clear, encouraging right now where there's discouragement, showing hope where hope is fading, reinforcing hope where hope is strong. All of this coming now before the table of our Lord. We'll be quiet in prayer before we come together at the table. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.